Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. And now, here's Dr. Dan Gerard. Our theme for this sermon series is focusing on how we can be people of excellence. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, records what I call a biblical addition formula that is essential if indeed we're going to be people of excellence. I read, and beside this, giving all diligence add to your faith, virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Did you notice the word add in verse 7? These verses indeed present to us a biblical addition formula. In our last session, we focused on the importance of being people of virtue, and in this session, we're focusing on adding to our faith so that we can be people of knowledge. Look again at verse number 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your virtue knowledge. The knowledge referred to in this verse has to do with both the facts of life and also the aims of life so that you and I might live more efficiently. Both the Bible and history are filled with accounts of individuals who had facts about God, facts about themselves, facts about others. And yet, despite the facts, they did not practice an ethical relationship with God, an ethical relationship with others, or an ethical relationship with themselves. Question, will you agree with me that it is God's desire for His people to survive and not be destroyed? Let me repeat that question in case you did not get it. Will you agree with me that it is God's desire for His people to survive and not be destroyed? We need and we must underscore in our minds and in our hearts the importance of knowledge being a vital part of this biblical addition formula. Look with me at Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. In this passage, God is speaking to physical Israel then, and God is also speaking to spiritual Israel today. Underscore, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, let me pause there and ask you the question. Who is being destroyed. One more time, who? One more time, who? My Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And as if someone were about to ask the question, well, why are God's people being destroyed? The answer resounds, because thou 
has rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. Now, don't raise your hands, don't nod your heads, but is there anyone here who wants to be rejected by God? I don't think any of us do, do we? You see, knowledge is very important if you and I are going to be people of excellence. And so the question I want to explore with us in this session is this. Why do we need this kind of knowledge, which is part of this biblical addition formula? One reason that you and I need this knowledge is because God commanded it. God said, add knowledge. Now, I have been, incu- been accused at times of being simple-minded, but that's all right. And it may be somewhat simplistic of me, but I just believe if God says it, that settles it. When God says something, my friends, that is reason enough. And so God said to you and God said to me that we must add knowledge. Another reason we need this kind of knowledge is so that you and I might operate more efficiently. And this is where I want to spend our focus in this session. I'm convicted in my intellect and I'm convinced in my emotions that as members of God's family, And as members of the human family, we should be ever alert to ethical ways to make our lives and our living more efficient. I mean, I want to share a few ways this kind of knowledge will add to you and to me being more efficient. First of all, this kind of knowledge that Peter is writing about helps us tell the difference between right and wrong. You see, this is so very important because there is so much false teaching being propelled in your direction and cast in my direction toward all of our lives and all of our living. Another thing is that this kind of knowledge helps us tell the difference between good and bad teaching. You and I are witnessing firsthand an explosion of what the Bible informs will happen in the last days of earth's history. We are seeing an explosion of false teaching. We're seeing an explosion of false teachers. They are increasing and increasing and increasing. Another thing is that this kind of knowledge will help us tell the difference between edifying and derogatory. Now, follow me very closely here. I love you. Am I smiling? Can you see my teeth? There is too much, and just a little is too much. But there is too much confusion in the ranks of Christianity in regard to this issue. Am I still smiling? There are too many, and one is too many, 
but there are too many who are too loose with their tongues. Amen or ouch. There are too many words that are being spoken, and there are too many actions and reactions being displayed that are derogatory rather than edifying to the body of Christ. And this kind of knowledge that Peter is talking about will help give us insight in how we can be more reflective before we speak and before we act. You see, my brothers and sisters, we need to be able to tell the difference and know the difference between edifying, building up, and being derogatory or tearing down. And so, this kind of knowledge will enable us to make ethical choices, ethical choices in the journey of living that will bring honor to Heavenly Father and will manifest our Christian calling in our relationships we have with one another and in our relationship with Him. So the question we need to ask at this juncture is this, how do we receive this kind of knowledge? I want to share very briefly three points with you. First point. We receive this kind of knowledge by recognizing the context of life. Now, you may have never heard that phrase before, but ere I finish, I hope it will be etched deep in your minds, in your hearts. Let me explain what I'm talking about concerning the context of life by reading Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 16. Jesus was speaking to that generation, and, and He's still speaking to our generation today. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. I must confess to you that when I was a young Christian, I read that verse, and I wondered why Jesus would do that. Why would He send us forth in the midst of wolves? But then I learned that this is the context of life. My brothers and sisters, this is not, by and large, a friendly world that you and I are living in. Oh yes, there are friendly moments that we experience. There are friendly situations that we encounter. There are friendly people that we entertain and praise God for those experiences. But by and large, this world you and I are living in is at war with God. This world that you and I are living in is at war with God's people. There is a great controversy taking place. And the animosity that is being exhibited and manifest toward God and God's people is becoming bolder and broader. You see, this is the context of life that you and I are living in. And Jesus said that He would send us into the midst of wolves. And make no mistake, 
be knowledgeable. There are wolves that want to devour you and want to devour me. They want to devour us because we are sheep in the fold of that gentle, great shepherd that the group sing about just a few moments ago. But praise God, as dismal as that may be and seem, God has not deserted us without a defense mechanism. There is hope, and the hope is the knowledge that Peter wrote about. Let's continue reading in Matthew chapter 10, the B part of verse number 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, underscore, be ye wise as serpents and harmless as doves. God desires for you and God desires for me to be victorious. God does not want the context of life to defeat us. The world you and I are living in is at enmity with God. The world you and I are living in is at enmity against God's children. And because this world and the prince of this world is out to defeat, to destroy, and to devour your life and my life, God has given us the ability through His sweet Holy Spirit and partnership with Him as we unite our will with God to be wise and to exercise the knowledge Peter's talking about. This word wise used in Matthew 10 and verse 16 is a very interesting word. It's actually derived from a word which means prudent. Now, let me share with you the definition of prudence. Prudence is the ability to govern and discipline by the reason or the use of reason. Let me read that again. Prudence is the ability to govern and discipline by the use of reason. What I'm about to say is not meant to be critical and it's not meant to be judgmental, but too often we allow our reasoning abilities to become contaminated, and they become contaminated because we have allowed the context of life to overwhelm us. My brothers and sisters, you and I must not accept something just because it appears to be or is promoted as fact. You see, prudence is discretion, and prudence is caution as to the danger or risk. And there are dangers all around us. But you and I do not have to be overcome by that danger if we are wise, if we are prudent, like a serpent. Have you ever wondered why a snake is constantly flicking its tongue out? You ever thought about that? You ever done any study in that? I have. A snake sticks out its tongue to collect data. 
Now, what is data? Data is facts. A snake sticks out its tongue to collect data for its Jacobson organ. The Jacobson organ is located in the front of the snake's mouth, and it functions as a chemical receptacle. And so every time a snake flicks out its tongue, it grasps chemical particles in the air, and those chemical particles dissolve with the moisture on the snake's tongue. And once a snake reels its tongue back in, it inserts the tips of its forked tongue in those two openings in the Jacobson organ. And there, those particles, especially those of animal body odors, are identified. They are analyzed. My brothers and sisters, this is a kind of knowledge that God wants you and God wants me to have. We're to be wise as serpents. Second point, we receive this kind of knowledge by recognizing the role of Scriptures. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known, underscore, the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Well, my friends, one of the primary roles of Scripture is to make you and me smarter, to enable us to be wise unto salvation. Third point, we receive this kind of knowledge by examining every teacher and every teaching. We receive this kind of knowledge by examining every dispenser of facts and every fact that is dispensed to us. I would not be a Seventh-day Adventist Christian today if I had not followed this principle. Because as a young Christian pastor in the Pentecostal movement, I began to analyze not only the dispensers, not only my teachers of the proposed facts, but I began to analyze the facts or the teachings that were being dispensed to me. And what I discovered was that as Christian as some of those dispensers were, some of the facts being dispensed to me were not biblical. I was taught that the Sabbath was a day that the Bible does not prescribe. 
by dispensers who were dispensing this as fact. I was taught that, that when a person dies, that person immediately goes to heaven or to hell. I was taught that by dispensers who were dispensing that as fact. I was taught so many things that, that when I began to analyze on the basis of what God's Word said, I had to come to the conclusion that even though the dispensers were Christians, what they were dispensing was not fact. I would not be who I am today, and I would not be where I am today if I had not done that. Now, follow me very closely. I'm going to make a statement that I hope you understand. You and I are living, and we will continue to live in the context of life until we die or until Jesus returns. And we must place everything we see, we must place everything we hear, we must place everything we feel under the identifying analyzing ability of God's Word and God's Word alone. If it measures up to a plain, thus saith the Scripture, we keep it. If it doesn't, we discard it. I want you to note this principle with me as preserved in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. And these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And as if someone were about to ask, well, what was it that contributed to their being noble? What was it that enabled their testimony to be that they had more nobility than others? The answer resounds, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica, underscore, in that they received the Word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. Well, my friends, the Bereans did not accept something just because somebody said it. They put everything they heard to the test of examination. And as a result, they were claimed as being more noble than others. Now, don't raise your hands, don't nod your head, but is there anyone else beside Pastor Dan who wants to be recognized in the sight of God as being noble? I believe if I had asked you to raise your hands or, or nod your head, every one of you would have responded in the positive. Now, what was the result? Look at verse number 12. Therefore, Many of them believed. Well, I like that. May I read that again? Therefore, many of them believed. May I read it one more time? And therefore, many of them believed, also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. In conclusion, 
There are many of what I refer to as discernment criteria in our lives that are invalid. I want to mention just two of the discernment criteria that are invalid. And I could go through a whole list, but for the sake of time, I just want to list two. Number one, one of the invalid discernment criteria is, does it work? Too often, we base our knowledge on this question. If it works, we accept it. And if it does not work, we reject it. My friends, the determination of whether something works or not is often measured, whether we like to admit it or not, it's often measured and determined through our own eyes. Many times, and this is not being critical or judgmental, but many times you and I make a determination, we make a decision as we look through the glasses of our own perception. And so asking whether it's working or not is really not a valid discernment criteria because our perception could be all out of focus. Another invalid discernment criteria is, how do I feel? How do I feel about it? We're going to look at this in greater detail in another session, and so I just want to briefly address it in this session. The question we need to ask ourselves in this regard is this, do we really want to be slaves to our feelings? Do we? Do you want to be a slave to your feelings? Do we really want to be slaves to our feelings? To be sure, feelings are a vital part of humanity. God created us with the capacity and ability to feel. But my brothers and sisters, even though feelings are a vital part of humanity, feelings are not to be the engine of the train. Fact is the engine of the train. Feelings, that's the caboose. You and I are to place our faith not in feelings, but we're to place our faith in fact. Because when you and I begin to act and we begin to react according to how we feel, when feelings become our discernment criteria, the train is set up for derailment. You see, the Bible, and the Bible alone, is the true criteria. And you and I gain the knowledge that Peter is speaking of in, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 as we place our faith in the fact of God's Word. Because my Bible says, heaven and earth will pass away, but God's Word is going to stand forever.
and placing your faith, placing your trust in the true criteria, the fact of God's Word will enable you to be a person of excellence. God grant that we have a revival of the desire to be a knowledgeable people. Heaven and earth are both watching. Dr. Dan Gerard is the pastor of University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org, or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel and on our website. Thank you for listening.